0: Uh, Last week we started a sermon series that we're called Backyard Religion uh, from Judges chapter 17, and if you have your Bible, would you grab it uh, and turn to Judges 17? If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles by almost all of the exits here, and I have a piece of string hanging from my hand here. Do y'all see that? There it goes, right there. Okay. Turn to Judges 17. Uh, We have two different Bibles. Some of you are wanting to go get the Bibles, but you're too shy. Don't be shy. Go up and get those right now, and the black Bibles have smaller print, and the red Bibles have larger print, and turn to the book of Judges. As we're teaching our sons all the books of the Bible, it's Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, so that's maybe uh, somewhere in the first 10 books uh, of the Bible and turn to the 17th. only thing you have to do, if you don't know where the book of Judges is, is be able to turn to the index, and there will be a table of contents there, and you can be able to find. Some people, you think you're too Christian to turn to the table of contents. You need to get over that right now, okay? And turn to the table of contents and find Judges, chapter 17. And we told you an obscure story last week that's found in the middle of Judges. And um, we're going to preach through this story for the next four weeks and we've titled it backyard religion i could have titled it homemade religion i could have titled a religion of man's own making uh, we have a family here and kind of invents their own religion and starts their own church in their backyard and doesn't at all practice the 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 biblical faith they just kind of invent their own faith and what was done uh, over 2500 years ago can still be done today in 2014 and so we're looking through that, And if you're in Judges, we're in the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to especially focus on verse 13 today. So what do we have up here, Katie? Judges chapter uh, 17. Do you have a scripture for me? It would be great if you do. Thank you, thank you. Let's go to verse 1. Uh, let's try it again. And let's go back one slide. Thank you. Let's have a hand for Katie. uh, Yes, yes. People up in the sound booth and the projection booth are like officials in uh, athletic contests. You never recognize them until they mess up, okay? If they do a perfect job, you don't even know they're up there, okay? When they mess up a little bit, that's when you notice them, okay? Greg, you know a little bit about messing up and being official in a basketball game, don't you? You Oh, Okay. (laughs) Here's this little obscure story. Um, Now, a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, "...the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, and about which I heard you utter a curse." So his mom had 1,100 shekels of silver stolen from her. Now, we said last week 1,100 shekels of silver is no like $2 out of mom's purse, okay? Okay. Uh, it says later in this passage that a priest got 10 shekels of silver a whole year for his whole salary. So this is 110 times the yearly salary of a priest. So this is a pretty tidy sum of money. Could have been her life savings for all we know. It, it accounts to 29 pounds of silver, okay? And so she utters a curse, evidently. And so, I, We don't know what that curse was, but let's read between the lines and say, May the Lord God Almighty curse who is ever taken my silver. I don't know why she does that. There's no biblical understanding of doing things like that. She just uttered some curse. And her son is speaking and he said, I heard you utter that curse. I have the silver. I took it, her son says. So son probably brings this silver back, not because he's remorse about stealing that not because he's uh, remorseful or repentant about stealing that he probably heard the curse and he's scared that God is going to whack him over the head with a two-by-four or something okay so this curse I, uh, that I heard you say I have the silver with me I took it and then his mom gives an odd response the Lord bless you my son now your mother wouldn't have said that and my mother wouldn't have said that okay but for some reason in one breath she's using God's name to utter a curse and the next breath she's using God's name to utter a blessing and that's kind of really weird. Okay? What do we have next? When he returned the 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, she says I so, she gets all religious and says I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol and you don't know have to know too much about the Old Testament to know that the second commandment is that you should not make any image of God Almighty. And they would have certainly known this in Old Testament Testament Israel times. But she says, I'm going to uh, consecrate my silver to the Lord. It's not going to consecrate my silver to Baal or some other god. She's worshiping the one true God, but not in a way that he wants to be worshiped. He said, you should not make any image of me don't make any idol of me. Graven image is the older word in the King James language. And so she says she's going to give this money back to her son Micah. Okay, next slide. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image in the idol. And they were put in Micah, her son's house. So these idols go in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, as uh, some translations would say a chapel. He had a little church in his house, or in his backyard. And he made an ephod, and the ephod was something that the priests wore. So he was setting up his own little tabernacle of worship here in his own little house, even though in those times the only tabernacle was supposed to be down the road about 30 miles in Shiloh. But he sets one up in his own house here, and he's got his little idols. He's, he's got an ephod that the priests are supposed to wear, and what do you know, he gets one of his boys and says, I want you to be my priest. So he's got his own little priest, he's got his own little church, he's got his own little ephod, he's got his own little worship things right here. Totally contrary to anything close to what Israel is supposed to be doing in their worship of the one true God in biblical times. Where are we going now? And the reason he did this is because of this verse. In those days, there was no authority. There was no king. And everyone just did whatever they wanted to do. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Verse 7. Now, a young Levite, and you have to know a little Bible to know that the people from the tribe of Levi... God said they were to be the priest of all the 12 tribes of Israel. The people from the tribe of Levi, the Levites, were supposed to be the priests. They were the pastors. They were the preachers. So this young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, he left that town in search of some other place to stay. That's kind of weird, but I don't know what that, uh, why he left that town. But he leaves that town. On his way, he came by Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and be my priest. I'll fire my son right now because, man, I'll have you and I'll give you 10 shekels of year. I'll give you your room and your board. Why don't you come be my priest? So the Levite agreed. That sounds like a good deal to him. He agreed to live with him, and the young man was told, one man to him was like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know the Lord will be good to me. Since this Levite, I have an ordained elder in the church of the Nazarene now to be my priest. Since I've got the right guy, now I know the Lord will be good to me. Since i got the right guy as my priest. That's, um, that's the verse we're going to camp out on today. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as my priest. How would you, um, if I'm back in my math teaching days and I give you all a pop quiz right now and said, uh, take out a sheet of paper and fill in this blank. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since, how would you fill in that blank? Now I know They probably wasn't going to be good to me when I had my boys. Now I know, since I have a Levite, now I know the Lord will be good to me since. How would you fill in that blank? Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I'm in the right church. You know, you do know some people, they go to the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church, the non denominational church, the Methodist church, and all of a sudden they find a church they like. And they know the Lord will be good to them since I found the right church. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I'm starting to tithe. Now I know the Lord will be good to me. since I'm going to teach Sunday school. Now I know the Lord will be good to me because I've started coming to church. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I've given up my pornography addiction. I don't know. I mean, how how would you feel in that? How would you fill in that blank? Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I did my devotions this week. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since I've stopped drinking and cussing and don't chew and or don't go with girls to do. And, Backyard religion always starts with a distorted understanding of God. You see what Micah has here? Micah has a God that he can manipulate. He has a tit for tat. That's an old saying. Do we still say that? That's an old saying. You do this, I'll do this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's what Micah has, that kind of a God here, right? Because I did this, God will do this. It's a, you scratch my back, God, and I, I, I'll scratch your back, God, and you scratch my back, God. And, and that's a pretty, pretty small God. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty small view of God, a God that I can manipulate. If the only thing I've got to do is come in here and lay 10% in the offering plate and, and, and for God to do whatever I want Him to do, that's a pretty, pretty small God. He's your vending machine, Right. You just put some money in and get a little bit out and you do this and he'll do that for you. You do this, he'll bless you. Wow, what a small God that is. It's a God you manipulate. That's a God you control. It's a God I control if that's the view that I have of God. Last week we said that backyard religion has a distorted view of sin. And we talked about that, didn't we? Backyard religion will always have a distorted view of sin. Either minimize it not make a big deal about it? After all, it's the only reason Jesus came. How sinful must sin be for God to send his only son to die for me? How much sinful must it, must it be? Some people minimize sin and just wink at it. Oh, it's not. It's, everybody's doing that nowadays. Oh, you know, we're more sophisticated now than we were back in the 50s. And so we said backyard religion has a distorted view of sin. That some people minimize sin, but we said some people maximize sin as well. Some people make too big of a deal about sin, and that sounds really kind of weird for a pastor to say, but I've heard him him say it. In my office, God could never forgive me for that. And when you maximize sin that way, you minimize the cross of Christ. And minimizing the cross of Christ is a terrible sin to commit. Harold Horton told me that his his brother went to his grave saying God could never forgive me. That's maximizing sin. That's minimizing the cross of Jesus Christ. Backyard religion always distorts sin, but today we're talking about how it distorts their concept of God, their view of God. And in particular, a God that I can manipulate and put in my own little box. You know, got all kinds of sizes of moving boxes here. This is the size I kind of like because you obviously can't get anything in these small ones, and my back will no longer allow me to pick up these right in here. So these, this is my preferred box. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is I, I can control this. I can kind of pick it up. I'm okay with this. I don't have to struggle with this, and and it stacks really good. And this is the this is what I this box I like. And sometimes we we put God in a box that we're comfortable with and. We're okay with, and we have a distorted and a poor concept of God. Do I have a quote up here, Katie? This quote is from A.W. Tozier. A.W. Tozier is a pastor and a theologian. He says, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God. And I insist upon this, and I have said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God and if 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 the church is as we've said a thousand times the church is nothing but us the church isn't wood and and stone and and microphones and pianos the church is us so if, if the problem and the basic trouble with the church is the basic trouble with me today the basic trouble with us today is our unworthy view of God our unworthy concept of God and Micah had that. He had a God he could manipulate. He had a tit-for-tat God. He had a will scratch your back God, and you'll scratch my back God. Which your box do you have here? What's your concept of God? These boxes really aren't our fault. Because many times we were given our boxes by our parents. And they taught us, they were very well-meaning, mine were too, but the God that my dear sweet mom and dad gave me was too small. The box that they taught me that kind of kept God in was too small. And as I've grown and I've matured in my face, I've found that God has busted out of the box that my very, very well-meaning mom and dad. Dad's already in heaven. Mom will be in heaven. They're there, but they gave me a too small view of God. We, we get these handed down to us. Now, some of the boxes are really not our fault too much. Some of our churches have given us a bad concept of God. I've heard some of you tell me some unbelievable stories of what you were taught about God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable and you were taught that and you were young and you were impressionable and you weren't old enough yet to 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 find out the real deal yourself and and what we learn at a very young age is very impressionable isn't it it sticks with us and your your church your well-meaning pastor your well-meaning evangelist he, he presented to you uh, an unworthy concept of god something less than the biblical god as he is revealed in scripture so some of these boxes maybe aren't our fault we have this view of god but when we get light on that or hear correct teaching on that we have a responsibility to correct that to correct that understanding of god these boxes they have names you know that they have names and um some boxes are called well um well, God could never use me. You know, Some boxes are called that. I've never been to a seminary and Bible college and was born on the wrong side of the tracks and I barely made it out of high school. I didn't make it out of high school, as a matter of fact. And God could certainly never use me. That's, that's Some of these boxes have those names. Some, uh, um, some of our younger people today have boxes called, Well, God doesn't work that way anymore. And some of our younger people and, Say, well, God's working differently than He did back in the 50s and 60s. And then some of our older people have boxes because we'd never done it that way before. Yeah, they, you know, they. It's their box. They have that name on it. They have that name on it. Some people have a box that says, well, that's not the way I was taught. That's not the way I was taught. It, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a good name, I guess. Oh, maybe the way that you were taught was wrong. There are people today, sweet, well-meaning people, that their God, their God, only lets them wear certain things to church: long dresses, no earrings. And they're in that, that's the way I was taught box, and I would ask them to expand that a little bit more. Some people have a box, well, that's just not the way I believe, and well, maybe you believe wrong. Maybe your belief doesn't line up with Scripture. Well, these boxes have all kinds of, of different names. God is a very big God, and my... My goal here today is not to get you to have a bigger box. My goal today is get you to throw the box away. Don't have a box. Because I've never really found any box that you can put God into. This is the way He works. And He doesn't move outside of these lines. I've never found any box, small, large, extra large, refrigerator. I've never found any box that God can be able to work in. What if we didn't have a box for God? What could God do in your life if you didn't have a box for him? Micah had a box for him. Now I know that God will bless me. Because if I do the right thing, God will do this. If I do this, God will do this. It's basically a vending machine God. Now I know that God will bless me since. But what if you didn't have a box for God? What if your concept of God is, 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 is huge? What if your concept of God is a God that can work any way he wants to? After all he says in Scripture, I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy on. What what, what could God do in your life if you had no box? What would God do in our church if we didn't have a box for him? Throughout the history of this church, we can't push past 500 or 600 people. We've we've nudged up to 600 in the history of this church and never pushed past it. Never. Never. What if we enlarged our vision of what? god needed to do and and we enlarge our vision and we need we need to have three services we need to have a service at 8 30 and a service at 9 45 and a service at 11 because we have enough people to do that what if what if what could god do in this church if we just absolutely have no box for god what could god do for xenia what could i am sick and tired of hearing something. I've only lived in Xenia for two years, been in Xenia for four. I I've only, I am tired of hearing people say, "Oh, it makes me mad. Well, that's just Xenia. That irritates me. That irritates me. This is a good place. Does she have issues? Of course she has issues. What could God do for Xenia? What could God do for Xenia if we just throw, if we just throw the box away? I'm not encouraging you to enlarge your box. I'm encouraging you to be able to get rid of your box this morning. Uh, people have had boxes all the way through Scripture. You know that. I mean, if we have boxes where it's nothing new, they've had boxes all the way through Scripture. You know, um, Abraham's time, they thought they were too old, but God came along and used an elderly, infertile couple. She laughed, didn't she, when she was told that she was going to have a, a son at her age, and I can't even remember how old she was, but God's her box was that she was too old, she was past child bearing years, and Sarah laughed, and Abraham and Sarah were an infertile couple, and Abraham didn't see how the child could be brought through him. And God used an elderly, infertile couple to start what we understand today as Christianity. In fact, let's, let's, let's just be honest. He used an elderly and fertile couple to start Christianity, start Judaism, and start Islam. Because they all trace back to Abraham. Too old? Too young? Got to get some more experience. Got to grow up a little bit. Certainly wouldn't hire a 23-year-old youth music pastor. I mean, golly, he's a rookie. I mean, he just can't wipe his own nose yet. I mean, I too young? But wasn't there a little shepherd boy that was the run of the litter? And the prophet Samuel looked at all the other brothers and said, well, it's got to be this brother or this brother. And, and, and God spoke to Samuel, no, it's not any of them. He said, Samuel, you're looking on outward appearances. I look upon the heart, and he goes to the run of the litter and finds David, who becomes the greatest king in all of Israel. When God looks to be able to find the, the mother of his son, he, he just gets a little teenager. You know, everybody agrees she's 14 or 15. Too young, too old, too guilty. Done too much. Sin too much. Too guilty. He used Rahab the prostitute in the Old Testament, did he not? Does she not? Does she not show up in Hebrews eleven, which is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith? This prostitute is she too guilty? God can't use God can't use a prostitute, right? We don't we don't agree with that at all, do we? I mean, we're Nazarenes, right? God. That's outside our box. You mean God can use a prostitute? Now I know that God will be good to me. He had God in a little box. He had a little vending machine God. He had a God that he can control. If I got the right guy in here, then God's going to be good to me. And Do I have another quote that I gave you, Katie? Here's the on, on, the, on the heels of too guilty, this is a statement by uh, a theologian, Carl Henry. Many of, um, many, of the so, many of the Christian leaders, when he says them there, he's talking Christian leaders of the future. Many of them are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the next great apostle of the Gentiles? Who knew that God would use an atheist like C.S. Lewis or Chuck Colson, who were both once unbelievers? Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers in all of seventeenth century instituted what we know is it started God used him to start the Great Awakening and years ago. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the guy driving in front of you with a Darwin fish on his bumper. The next Charles Wesley might be a profane womanizing hip hop artist right now. If you said no, 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 then I say to you. The next Billy Graham might be passed out this morning on this Sunday morning drunk in some fraternity. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. Oh no, that never. No, no, no. No. What's what's your what's your concept of God? Oh, I'm 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 pretty good because I have a big box. In the Bible, we had people that were too scared. Is that that the Kentucky way to say that, too scared? Scared? Is that how you say that? Okay, Scared? Too scared? Okay. They were fearful. And God could not overcome their fear. And so Gideon was basically hiding, was he not? He was basically hiding and didn't want God to use him. I mean, read the story. I mean, it's a hilarious story. I didn't want God to be able to use him at all. And to this man who was fearful and hiding, God comes and says, Mighty warrior to this one who was. Are you too fearful? You have a small God. You have a small God. Blow the box away. Sometimes it's just too hard. It's just too... Whatever God may want you to do is just too hard. I've heard people talk about being a Christian. It's just too hard. And I think about Joseph in the Old Testament who was a slave. He was a prisoner. And man, he ended up being the vice president of Egypt, basically. God could never do that, could he? God could not take a, the, 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 the son that, of Jacob that all his brothers hated, and they sold him off to another country. He was left in a pit to die. Then they sold him to Egypt, and he ended up in jail, falsely accused, and ended up in prison, and then forgotten in prison. And all of a sudden, God has him standing in front of Pharaoh and interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And, and Pharaoh says he puts him in charge of everything, and he was Pharaoh's lieutenant. I mean, nothing's too hard for God. When I watch that movie about Joseph, I just, I just want to cry when Joseph comes into that Pharaoh's house and interprets those dreams, and Pharaoh puts him in charge of all of Egypt, and here was this little, this little boy thrown in a pit, and look what God's done for him. Anything too hard for God? And we all, good Christians, would say, of course not. But what have you stopped praying about? Too sinful? Matthew, the tax collector, most hated person in all of Israel, come follow me. Too lost? Too lost? Apostle Paul was killing Christians. Whoever you think is too lost or too sinful, way out. Have they killed Christians? Have they persecuted Christians? Have they stood there and held the coats of people that were stoning Christians? and had papers in his hands and hatred in his heart as he was riding off to Damascus to kill some more? Too sinful? Too lost? What about too uneducated or too crude? You know, know, Peter was just sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. Just a hard old, brash fisherman. Hard old, brash fisherman. Stood up at Pentecost and preached the message that instituted the church. Backyard religion will always have a distorted view of God. And mostly it's a too small view of God. Mostly it's a too small view of God. If you ever have a chance, pick up, you can probably pick it up for a dollar on Amazon now. The little book by J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small. It's a classic now written 50, 60 years ago. Your God is too small. Issues that people have spiritually in their lives can almost always be traced back to a faulty concept of God. Can almost always be traced back to a faulty concept of God. You have got a God that is not as big as has been revealed. You have got a God that you've let your denomination, your pastor, your church, your mother, your father, some author, some evangelist, put in a box for you. And I'm encouraging you this morning to throw away that box. And God is big enough to be able to do whatever, ever you need him to do. He may choose not to do it now, okay? It's not like, oh, I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to get up extra early, and then I know God will be good to me. No, sorry. Well, I'm going to get a 1,000 people on Facebook praying for me. Then I know God will be Sorry, sorry, sorry. God's going to do what he wants to do. I had somebody come to my office one day and says, how can I get God's financial blessing on my life? Yeah, that's, I wanted to do that, but I, I, I stayed more polite. I didn't laugh. How can I get God's financial blessing on my life? And what I wanted to say is you don't need his financial blessing. You need God. You want his financial blessing. What you need is God. He may bless you financially. He may not choose not to bless you financially, but you want him. You don't want what he'll do for you. You don't want him because he'll put his marriage back together, your marriage back together again, or save your kid. You just want him because he's worthy of being wanted. Well, at least two people that agree. I, I, Now I know God will be good to me since. Sense. What, what I basically came to tell you this morning is, you know, if, if your God is there to make you more comfortable, your God is way too small. Way, way too small. If your God is there to, to so you can play it safe and he doesn't want you to take any risk and just kind of really play it safe, your God is not the biblical God. I mean, not at all. If your God loves Americans more than Iranians, more than Syrians. Oh. Your God is, your God's just way too small. I'm 10 or 12 years away from retirement now, right? You know, 55, I'll be 56 in a little bit. And my God thinks that um, I'm going to retire and spend the next 20 years relaxing. My God's too small. My God is way, way too small. He wants to do so much more in my life than that. How about this one? If your God agrees with you, (laughs) or agrees with me, how arrogant am I to think my God agrees with me all the time? How much do I must think of myself? How about this one? If your God is Nazarene <laughs> if your God is Nazarene, you have a distorted understanding and a concept of a, Of course, if I was in a Baptist church, I would say, if your God is Baptist, your God is Presbyterian, your God is Lutheran. You have a distorted your God is non-denominational. <laughs> you have a distorted view of God. If you think your family is just too functional, that God is too broken, God could... Ne- ne- just, just messed up, man. Just too, too, just broken. If you have, uh, if you have your God in the box of science... And whatever limitations science puts on things, God couldn't, certainly couldn't bust that, right? Because science, I mean, science is the real deal, right? And, you know, But science can't say anything about creation or resurrection. Science can't say anything about one-time events. The only thing science can say, too, are things that they observe repeatedly. That's the scientific method to... Re- Observe something repeatedly. They have nothing to say about one-time events like resurrection from the dead and creation. If, if, if your God is, a, is inside a box of science and he has to stay within the realms of what we understand as 2014 scientific theory, then your God is, is, is too small. If you've got God all figured out, <laughs> you really know the way he works. And I do too, obviously. I'm a paid religious guy, right? Now I know God will be good to me because I'm going to do this and then he'll do that. That's a God you manipulate. That's a God you control. That's a God that you call the shots because if you do this, he'll do that. All backyard religion, all false religion, all homemade religion, all religion that is that is made up, man-made, has some false concept of God, a distorted view of God in some way. I told you earlier something that's probably really not true. I, I said that you can't put God in a box. And that's a good thing, and everybody agrees with that and says amen. But let's think... That through a little bit better, and let me make a better statement than that. You can put God in a box. It's the Jesus box. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. And one of the reasons maybe that um, second commandment says don't bring, make any image is because God one day was going to show you what he's going to look like. Colossians 1 says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. You know, you know what God is like? God the Trinity, God the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, know what, you want to know what he's like? Jesus. He's in the Jesus box. And that's one of the the reasons that every Sunday morning we do what Jesus told us to do is to do this in remembrance of him. Our servers are coming this morning. as, As you come this morning, you're Remembering that God is a big God. You know how, you know how uh, out of the box God is? How totally out of the box God is. God decided to die for you. Now you go tell a Muslim that. They'll hang you. They'll hang you. Or behead you. You know how out-of-the-box God is? He died for you. You know how out-of-the-box God is? He used a virgin birth. You know how out-of-the-box God is? But in some way, I'll never understand. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. If I'm to understand who God is today, I must understand who Jesus is. And we remember every single Sunday the self-sacrifice that this God made for us. Is He a God of love? Yes. Is He a God of mercy? Yes. Is He a God of wrath? Yes. Is He a God of justice? Yes. Is He a God of compassion? Yes. Keep talking. I'm going to say yes on every one of them. As you come this morning, you're going to remember that He's a big God so big that he died for you.